some of us have a hard time asking for help. Some of us have a really hard time asking for help. Maybe we don't even know we need it, but maybe we do need it. And for whatever reason, we just have a hard time asking for help. So here's some scenarios. Uh, Many young adults, as they're growing up, have a hard time wanting, understandably, wanting to get their feet under them and, you know, be somewhat self-sufficient and independent. Sometimes young adults have a hard time still yet, when needed, asking for help from their parents when it's appropriate. Sometimes, conversely, going to the other side, older parents have a hard time asking for help from their children. We, many of us, have a a hard time uh, asking for help. Um, That can apply to prayer as well. Sometimes we have a hard time, again, for whatever reason, maybe we're not aware of it or for there's something something that's just impeding us from asking the Lord for his help. We we hesitate to tell him of our needs, to trust him with our needs, to to go to him and simply ask for what it is that we need in in prayer. Could be that we we doubt uh, whether he cares. It could be that we question whether our needs are too significant, or excuse me, uh, significant enough to, if you will, bother him with our, uh, that request. Or maybe we wonder whether we're significant enough to come to him with our needs. Maybe we wonder, again, if he even actually hears us or cares to hear us. Well, Jesus, in these words that we're about to read from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15, speaks quite directly into those doubts, into those concerns, into those hesitations that we have in terms of going to the Lord with our needs, with our, our uh, prayers and petitions. This is a part of this little mini-series on this topic of Jesus on prayer. Uh, We've been here in Matthew 6 in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want to turn there now, uh, it's going to be on the screen behind me uh, in just a second. Matthew is the first of the four Gospels, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew is where we are. Uh, if, if I may, if you just hang in here for a second, let me, let me give you the, the, the context of, of what's happening and where this is happening and, and who's present. So this is early on in Jesus' ministry. He has undergone the, uh, the, his baptism, his temptation. He has begun to call some of his disciples. He has gone about the countryside preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing people. And now up towards the north in Galilee, there is this gathering on a hillside, a mount of some kind. And he proclaims this message. We know it today as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's recorded for us here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Roughly halfway through this message is this section on prayer. And we oftentimes refer to this as the Lord's Prayer. You've heard me say over the last several weeks, may not be the best way to refer to it. It might be better titled the Disciples' Prayer because it's a model prayer for us as his followers as to what it looks like to, to, to pray. Not to say we have to say it verbatim, but this is a really good pattern establishing priorities as such as terms of what it looks like to pray. And it builds on, we talked about this a few weeks ago, 
uh, off the, the, the big priority of this prayer, I think as far as the foundation is who we're praying to. Then with that established, what his priorities are, this is what we talked about last week, and now moving into our actual needs and the petitions. Okay, that's the background. So put yourself on the hillside with all these people who are there, and you're hearing this for the first time, okay? There, here is Jesus before us as a crowd. We're gathered there on this hillside in the open air, there in Galilee, hearing Jesus proclaim these words, this teaching as to what it looks like for us to pray, to commune, to communicate with God in heaven. Picking up, Matthew chapter uh, 6, beginning in verse 9. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, can we pray? Lord, thank you for this time, the songs that we have sung, uh, the scriptures that we have read, the time in prayer that we have already had together. Uh, thank you for uh, the, the folks working in the nursery and the children's church down the hall. We are asking for your spirit's work and movement in every room in this building right now, uh, such that we would be able to hear, we would be able to listen, we would be able to absorb, we would be able to receive your word, uh, what you have to say to us this morning. Uh, and you know, you can see, you know better than we are where we are and what we need and how we need to be confronted and how we need to be comforted and how we need correction and how we need encouragement. Lord, we're coming to you asking for that now and, and thank you for this passage that we can delve into. Very familiar to be sure and we never arrive in, in walking it out. Would you please help us now? We pray in your name. Amen. All right, let's go to Kansas. We're going to the land of Oz. It's not quite Kansas. It's kind of like another dimension. But it's, it's, we're going to the land of Oz. And for the very first time, you and I are being introduced to the great wizard, right? Think back to the movie. It's, that's all you got to think. Or the books, if you read the books. Uh, how are we introduced to the wizard? The smoke clears, right? Remember the scene? The smoke clears, and there's this giant head. Kind of freaky. But uh, uh, this giant head, and it, it bellows out. It shouts, I am Oz, the great and terrible. Who are you? Dorothy tries to respond, but she can't. He, the head interrupts and says, Silence! The great and powerful Oz knows why you are here. Step forward, tin man. The great and powerful Oz says, you dare come to me for a heart, you clinking, clanking, clattering collection of collagenous junk. To the scarecrow, you have the effrontery to ask for a brain, you billowing bale of bovine fodder. And then to the lion, and you lion, at which points he faints. It's a great scene. 
again, as a little kid, it kind of freaked me out, but um, it's a great scene. Here's why I'm mentioning this, why I'm starting off with this on this topic on, on prayer. I think many of us think God is like the, the great wizard of Oz. Great and powerful, not very approachable. That's a problem. If that's who we think God is, that is in no way the God that, that Jesus is putting before us here. Now, that's, it's quite important. Why is it important in terms of understanding who who we see God to be. Well, we've been saying this over and over through this little mini-series. Who we believe God to be will shape everything in terms of our understanding of prayer, of how we will go to Him, of how we will commune with Him, of what, what that simply means. Our view of who God is has, has everything to do in terms of what our view and understanding and practice of prayer. Jesus says, God is our Father in heaven, and everything that that means. I don't have a, that was another sermon, okay, so, so don't have time to get back into that. But Jesus says, our God is our, our Father in heaven, meaning He is our provider, He is our protector, He is this presence, this beautiful, warm, intimate, protective presence with us. Again, why is that important? Because We've said this in the series, who God is, who we understand him to be, has everything to do with what and how we will pray. The who has everything to do with the what and the how of prayer. So then who is he? Jesus says, Jesus says we are to come and to pray to our Father in heaven and let that shape, change the focus of our prayers. Six petitions we see here in this prayer. The first three we looked at last week. The next second set of three we're going to look at uh, here today. The first set of three had to do, remember this was last week, about God's name and his rule and his will. His name, his rule, and his will. Put it another way, that is to say we come first uh, focusing upon his concerns that they would be our concerns, focusing on his priorities that they would be our priorities. His name, his rule, his will. Now, once our heads have been cleared and our compasses recalibrated, Jesus says, now you're ready to come with your needs, to come with your petitions, to come to him with all those things. And and we have that in the second set of three things here in verses 11 through 13. And if you've got a bulletin, you see the, the main points here. Basically, we can say every one of our needs can go under one of these three headings, or maybe more than one. But, but, but basically, every, one, every need that you and I could come up with that we would have to come to God in prayer with could fit under one of these three headings. That is to say, a, a prayer of provision, a prayer of pardon, or a prayer of protection. Somehow, some way, it's going to fit under there of provision, of pardon, and protection. And, and knowing that God, knowing we're coming to Him as our Heavenly Father, th these are the things that we can bring to Him. And He, he is asking, he's, he's inviting us to come to Him with these things. So let's look at them in turn. What does it mean to come to Him praying this prayer of provision? Well, this is uh, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. 
Give us this day our, our daily bread. So this is a prayer for God's provision over all of life in everything. So bread, bread, understanding that's obviously a physical thing. It's an essential thing. It's a staple part of diet. When you understand that it represents food and, and going even beyond that, really it's meant to represent just all of our physical needs. It's, it's meant to, to represent all that is essential, physically speaking, in, in life. Martin Luther put it so well when he said, everything necessary for the preservation of this life like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace. He says, that's what Jesus means when he says, give us this day our daily bread. All of it. All of these temporal, physical needs that we have, he says, come. Come with your needs for all of life and come every day. And understanding that you need these things and you need him to supply these things every day. Day. No, note that the, the prayer is not, give us this day our storehouse of bread. Give us this day our Sam's Club or, or whatever, or warehouse full of bread. It's give us this day just enough for the day. Is basically what Jesus is saying. Just as, just as the, was the case with the Israelites, moving in their, their time in the wilderness, going from Egypt to the, the promised land, looking daily to the Lord for manna, daily bread. That's what we're under the understanding we're to have when it comes to our physical needs, our temporal needs. We look to him in all things, all the time, relying on him. Give us this day our daily bread. What would it look like for us to pray this way. Well, let me just say what it doesn't look like. It's, Jesus is not ruling out the need to work by saying, oh, would you give us daily bread? I'm just going to sit here and wait. That's not what Jesus is saying here at all. This is not ruling out the need to work. Rather, it's to be thankful for the work that we have, thankful for the ordinary means by which God does provide for us, which is oftentimes through labor and his way of providing for that and providing for the, the gifts and, and, and opportunities to do. That's the normal. He's free to, op, to operate in other ways and sometimes does, but this is not in any means, uh, a, a, this prayer not in any means rules out the responsibility, obligations that we have to work. Rather though, it tells us we should be thankful knowing where that provision ultimately came from. Okay, that's what it doesn't mean. Here's more what it does mean in terms of what it would look like for us to pray this way. It is to live and to pray in dependence upon God in everything, knowing from where everything that we have has come from. And that's just as, just as true for us 21st century hearers as it was for Jesus' first century hearers. Now, it's obvious for them, right? They're, they're sitting on the hillside. They, don't, they can't pull out their phone and call up Amazon and say, I need some bread. Most people, I, I would be, I think, Many of us would be shocked if we were to do some sort of in, informal anecdotal survey among many of our peers, maybe even some in this room, as makes me shudder to think this, that think that ultimately your supply comes from Amazon or Walmart. 
But ultimately, we don't pray to Jeff Bezos or Sam Walton. Our supply comes from the Lord. And it's just as true for the 21st century believer as it was for the 1st century believer. That's who we are relying on. That's who we are looking towards. And we helpfully would rec should recognize that perhaps it might be appropriate for us to come with specifics. Not just, oh, you know, give me daily bread, but come with him with the specific needs, the specific temporal things that you lack and you recognize you're looking to him for and watch him answer and supply for those things. We are utterly dependent upon him for everything. And Jesus here is calling us, inviting us, urging us to pray to our heavenly father, letting that shift, change, form, how we pray, and that begins with praying for earthly, temporal provisions, the, the obvious things. That's, it makes sense. Jesus would lead off with that, right? Then he shifts the gears, and he moves from the temporal, physical things to the spiritual, inner things. And you see that here moving from looking to God for our provision to the second point, looking to God for our pardon. And we need this every day too. And we are, we are just as dependent upon him and just as needy as we are for the pardon as we are for the provision. Let me read this again, verse, starting back in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, let me skip to verses 14 and 15. We'll come back to 13 on the third point. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So this is the provision of pardon. Again, absolutely, we are dependent. This is such a necessity here. It tells us something, interestingly, about the nature of sin. Jesus' words here, uh, referring to sin as, as both a debt and then later in verses 14 and 15, as sin as a, as a trespass. So sin as a debt. And let's think about this for just a moment. As creatures before the creator, as subjects before the king, we owe God everything. Our whole lives. All trust, all obedience, all worship, all service. We owe him as creatures and as his subjects, as his children, everything. Therein, when we sin, when we turn our back on him, when we refuse to give him what he is due, what he is owed, that creates a debt. That creates a debt. It puts us further in the hole. It puts us deeper in the red, in that we are debtors, whether you think in terms of sins of omission, failing or refusing to do what we should have done, or sins of commission, actively doing the things that we shouldn't have done, whether, here's more categories, in thought or word or deed, or here's another category, whether privately or publicly, we owe him having turned away from him, are indebted and are amassing debt all the time. 
Sin is also a trespass. It's another way to think about it, another biblical term that's used here, and Jesus uses it here in verses 14 and 15. The idea being that God, as, as God, has revealed to us standards by which we are to live, his rules, his commands, his statutes, and we are, again, to live according to these patterns, these laws, these commands. There, there are uh, lanes that we are not to uh, move into. There are lines that we are not meant to cross. By doing so, either one lanes or lines, we are trespassing. We're moving into territory we aren't supposed to be in. Therein we are trespassers. We are indebted trespassers. We are trespassing debtors, whichever way you want to think about it. It's, it's well worth grappling with these, these, the insight that Jesus is giving us here into the nature of sin, which then tells us a little bit more and helps us to flesh out maybe a little bit of uh, they're in the necessity of forgiveness, given the nature of sin, the, the necessity of, of forgiveness. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but forgiveness entails, at least this much, the writing off of the debt, the absorbing of the debt and not demanding that it be paid. And that's what God has done for us in Jesus. Writing off that debt, absorbing that debt at horrific cost to himself. Not demanding that we pay it, but him paying it in our stead. In the work of Jesus on the cross. And, and, and the same applies to the trespass as, as well. Him paying for that, absorbing that, not demanding that we, it has to be paid, but not we, but his son in full and finally. So, the, but this one other thing is worth pointing out here, and that's not just the, the uh, understanding of the, the nature of forgiveness, but the clarifier that Jesus puts out here. And it's a hard teaching, but we've got to hear this. Because Jesus wants us to grapple with this so much, he repeats it. It would seem for, for emphasis that we would get it. He says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, maybe you didn't hear that. And Jesus, knowing perhaps we don't want to hear that, then in verses 14 and 15, drives down on the point. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, that's some strong medicine. What does he mean? Understand that he is, he is not saying that God's forgiveness of us is conditioned on whether we will forgive other people. That's not what he's saying. That would be mercy by merit. That would be earning his pardon, earning his forgiveness by our forgiving others, by our pardoning others. That's not what he's saying. He's saying rather that the mark of one who has been forgiven, the mark of one who has been pardoned is a pardoning, forgiving disposition towards others. Those two things are very, very, very different. He's saying that, that my pardon of you, my forgiveness of you should have effect on you. If you've accepted it, if you've received it, you will be forgiving. 
and merciful and pardoning towards others. It's a mark. It, it's, it's, it's a mark. It's, it's a pardon that has effect. It's a pardon that has transformative power. Here, here I'm give you an analogy or an illustration. So imagine that you are traveling through the jungle. You're with a guide and you've crossed some body of water, a stream, a creek, a river, whatever, and you come out to the other side and you're horrified to see that your lower body has leeches all over you. And instinctively, you want to reach down there and start pulling them off because who wants leeches, right? And your guide tells you, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. You do that and you'll likely end up with infections. Let's wait till we get to where we're going and you soak in a warm balsam bath and that will cause the leeches to be released. And you're wondering, what in the world? I can see the expressions in your faces like, please don't go any further with this story. What does that have to do with prayer? The idea of these, these leeches being released in this warm, the gospel of our having been forgiven by God, his mercy to us in Christ is what will release the leeches of bitterness and resentment in your life. That's the point. That's the point. What would it mean for us to pray this way? Well, just following on with that, what Jesus tells us here in 14 and 15 in particular, we need to reckon with the reality that there is a relationship between the relationships. That Jesus is saying there is a relationship between your relationship with me and your relationship with the people around you. Put it another way, if you know yourself to be crippled by bitterness and resentment towards other people, you need to ask yourself a question. Have you actually received God's forgiveness? Have you embraced it? Because to the degree that you have not, you will be a bitter, resentful person. Put another way, we must reckon with the reality, hard teaching, I know, it's what Jesus is saying, that for us to come to him asking for forgiveness while we are for withholding forgiveness from another person is hypocritical at best. I know this is hard, but it's what Jesus is saying. It's the implications of what he is saying, which then takes us to another question. If we are unable to forgive, or perhaps maybe we're not even able to ask for forgiveness, maybe that's our problem. Maybe we're fine, you're, you're, you're good with point number one, and you're waiting for point number three, but you're kind of like waiting for me to finish up with point number two because it just doesn't feel applicable to you. Do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that there are debts that you owe to him? That this week, even this morning, 
you have trespassed? Are we even willing to acknowledge that much so that we would see a need to go to him and ask for pardon, for forgiveness? Jesus is very clear here that we do. The fact that he's telling us you need to pray this way should tell us something. The, the, The fact that if you keep reading through Matthew's gospel and he goes to a cross should tell us something about whether or not this is true of us. And as I said earlier, the need for daily, continual prayer for provision because of our dependency is just as true here with the need for pardon. It's just harder to admit it. Jesus is saying, come, come with your specific needs, come with your specific sins. Come with your specific needs, name them. Come with your specific sins and name them and ask for pardon and I will grant it. He says, come and pray to your heavenly father and that shifting, changing, refocusing the way we pray, freeing us to pray in the way we are created to. Praying for provision, praying for pardon. Third point, here we are. Praying for protection. Praying for protection. And again, this is having shifted, and this makes perfectly good sense. Jesus having started with the things that are obvious to us, the the temporal things, the physical things, then moving to the inner, the spiritual things. And now the second part of the inner spiritual things is, well, having talked about having fallen into sin, now he's getting beneath even that. Getting beneath even that here in uh, verse... um, Thirteen. uh, 13. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Again, we're so dependent here more than we know. For starters, Jesus is saying, uh, he's pointing us to the need for protection. I'll put it this way, protection from ourselves. Protection from our, our, ourselves. It's interesting to note that the, the, the word in the, in the English translations that's typically translated, lead us not into temptation, can oftentimes be translated as uh, trials. Now, God never tempts us, never, but he will allow trials. He will allow times of testing to come into our lives. Now, how do you and I oftentimes respond? What's the human engagement with those times of trials and testing? Temptation because of our weakness, because of our brokenness, because of the bentness of our hearts. Those trials, those times of testing oftentimes turn into times of temptation, exposing the reality of our weakness and need again here all all the more. And so the prayer, if I can paraphrase it, is is in a way something like this. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into times of trial such that I would fall into sin. Don't let me go there. Don't let me go there. So it's a prayer for protection from ourselves, but it could also mean something else, a prayer from, from protection from our great enemy, from Satan himself. Not just evil, but the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from 
perhaps the evil one, Satan, the liar, the deceiver, the accuser, the tempter, the one who is bent on disrupting and destroying any and everything of the kingdom of God. Now, he is but a fallen angel. And so he is absolutely positively no match for God himself. But we are no match for him. And so we need the Lord's protection from his schemes, lest he undo and unmake. Deliver us. Deliver us, O Lord. Save us from ourselves. Save us from his schemes. Save us. Deliver us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I was thinking about this text while driving. I think it was last Sunday afternoon. Now I think about it. I was talking to my parents on the phone, driving the Sango area, and just about had a heart attack as this giant hawk flies right from its perch on the, on the right side of the road, comes down right in front of my car, and hits this little field mouse. I know, leeches, field mouse. It's a great sermon, isn't it? Hits this little field mouse down in the ditch, goes back up into the, into the tree line. And, and so I got to see two things, not just the magnificence of this bird of prey, and wow, beautiful bird, and where are you going? Oh, my stars. And then seeing lunch and realizing, as I'm thinking about this text, I'm like the mouse. Utterly exposed, vulnerable to any and every kind of attack. Without this protection, I'm that mouse. I need to pray. We need to pray for the Lord's protection. What would it mean for us to pray this way? We have to begin with just reckoning with the reality of, of, the, of the spiritual. Reckoning with the reality of a spiritual war. Of a, of a battle that we face every day, all through the day, right now. Even in this moment while you're sitting in the seats. Yes, in the sanctuary. The battle of the world, the flesh, and the devil. So many of our forebearers... And so, and so many of our brothers and sisters in other parts of this globe have such a better grip and grasp on this than we do because we are the, uh, are the inheritors of the enlightenment, which is so ironical because it has darkened so much of our understanding. A failure to reckon with the, rea the, the inner, deeper spiritual realities in which we are swimming all the time. So much more than what we see and can touch. The reality of a spiritual war, the reality of, of uh, the spiritual life, and then reckoning with our weakness in that war, in that battle, in our, in our dependency, in all of that, and recognizing that, you know, that maybe there's some steps that need to be taken in, in, in addition to the prayer. Being wary of our steps, where we go. I mean, literally. Not even figuratively at this point. I mean, perhaps aware of where we go. Aware of the company that we keep. Aware of the screens that we click on. 
and the spiritual war in which we live. Jesus is inviting, urging us to come and pray to our heavenly Father that shifts everything in terms of our understanding and approach to him, coming to him for provision and this pardon and protection. What Jesus is showing us here in this model prayer is that we come to him praying over all of life with nothing left out. All of life is encompassed here. And in all of life, we are utterly dependent upon him. So everything is fair game. Nothing's left out. And in all of it, we are completely dependent on him. As I've said several times, even today, several times in this series, our view of God has everything to do with our prayers to God. Our view of who God is has everything to do with the implications of how we pray to him, which of course means we need to have a true view of who God is. I mean, that's, that's like the linchpin in all of this. The fulcrum, the foundation, a right view of who God is. Jesus says, do you know he is your father in heaven? Is that who we know him to be? Do we know that he is actually utterly beyond our comprehension for us, for you, follower of Jesus this morning, right now in your seat? He is for you, for you. And he hears you. Do you know that? Let me give you an image here before we wrap this up. I'm kind of stealing it from Tim Keller, but I'm building on it. it, it it's, it's a picture, an image that he used for time and time and again, and I'm, I'm sort of, you know, kind of building and adding to it, if I may. So imagine that you are undergoing staff training at a royal castle. You're going to become part of the king and queen's folks, you know, uh, there within that, the, the precincts of those castle walls, serving and working in, the, in, those, uh, in that arena. And you, you've been there in training for months on end. You, you first, you know, you're selected. You've been in through the training for months on end. And now examination day has come. And you go to the special room, you and your compatriots, you go to the room and you, your exam folders there on the desk and you open it up and shock, surprise, wonder of wonders. There's only one question. And it basically sums up everything as to whether or not you've gotten any of it and whether or not things are going to work out for you serving in the royal castle. And here's the question. Who dares wake up the king at 3 a.m. asking for a glass of water? Who dares wake up the king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water? Is it the prime minister? No. Is it the general of the armies? No. Is it the admiral of the navy? No. Is it the treasury, the secretary of the treasury? No. Is it, I'm going to keep going, is it the ambassador to your most 
beloved or hated rivalry within on the continent? No. Well, who is it? Child of the king. It's the only one in the castle who has the right to wake up the king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water. That one alone has the right. Do you know this morning you have that right? Follower of Jesus, Christian, disciple, do you know that you have that right? You have the king's ear. His ear is tuned to your cry. Do you know that that is true of you this morning? He is your father in heaven. He is not ignorant needing to be informed. He is not hesitant needing to be moved. He is your father in heaven. And Jesus says, my, my child, come, come. Let my concerns be yours and let your needs be mine. Let my concerns be yours and let your needs be mine. Come and pray to your Father in heaven. We pray. Oh Lord, we are as dependent now as we ever were. We are as dependent here, us, as those folks that day were then there on that hillside. We are creatures in need of your provision. We are sinners in need of your pardon. We are at war, besieged by an enemy without and within, needing your protection. We have such great needs, but such a great God. Ours is such a great privilege, and we are so greatly loved. Would you help us to know these things, believe these things, embrace these things, knowing that nothing is too great for you, nothing is too small for you, nothing is beyond your sight, nothing is beyond your reach. Help us hear these words and to live them out. We pray in your name. Amen.